Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 229 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Joe Watson all about why running your author business is like child's play. And we have a little bit of a giggle, and it's a fun episode talking all about her experience of writing her very first book and her very first nonfiction book. But first, to a few comments. Tom Fowler said, I love Audrey. Uh, and he's talking about Audrey Huey. Uh, glad to see her on the podcast. Amber said, I hard related to so much of this episode from not wanting to mar my beautiful planners. <laughs> God, I relate to that. Uh, to having far more success actually using the Clever Fox quarterly project planner and struggling to prioritize and break things into small big things into smaller tasks oh you're speaking to my heart speaking my language uh, my biggest takeaway was definitely when audrey talked about giving yourself a block of time to do stuff because work takes as long as you give it and let me tell you as a woman who can go down a four hour adobe stock photo rabbit hole she's absolutely fucking right i love that uh, uh, Matt said it was a really good episode I'm not a good planner as a rule I tend to be more reactive however she put things across in a really non-threatening way that was understandable and achievable I love that please do leave me your comments I do love to see them so this week I'm in <laughs> a better mental state <laughs> than I was last week. Wow, last week was a roller coaster. This week I'm feeling mm, still exhausted, still really trying to take steps back from the edge of burnout. I wasn't in burnout, but I think if I'd pushed <laughs> even a fingernail further, then I probably would have tipped into burnout. I'm feeling a lot better. The headaches have gone. Um, I had a few early nights and I'm trying really hard not to do anything in the evenings. It's not always working. Uh, basically, I had my coaching on Friday last week. It is now th Wednesday, the 7th of February, as I record this. And I basically realised I had about 10 more days of pain. So I think by the end of this weekend, uh, all the major kind of commitments are done. I've got, I'm speaking on the Pro Writing Aid Romance Writers Week next week on the 15th of February. And I'll be talking about sensory writing. So please do join me for that. It's going to be fun. Um, and the link will be in the show notes for that. And then that's that really is like my last commitment. It's not my last commitment. I don't know why I keep saying that. <laughs> It's really not. I'm then speaking in Seville uh, on the 7th, 8th, 9th of March, something like that. And then I'm speaking at London Book Fair on the 11th and the 13th of March. So I And it's my birthday on the 10th of March. So I've got a fucking jam-packed week. However, however, those don't feel like quite the same level of commitment because... Um, I don't know why. Well, partly because I've already done the presentations or mostly done them. And partly because, um, I don't know, I'm also going to the conferences for the funsies of them. So the, the, it feels different. Whereas, you know, I've done all the editing. I've done the majority of the launch work now. I've got my Kickstarter set up. Those things were like heavy project-based tasks. Um, and then I get the fun stuff of presenting this weekend, which I'm so excited about. Although, of course, by the time this airs, the webinar will be done so you cannot uh, get your hands on it anymore 
so yes, where am I? Basically, the next couple of days, it's Wednesday today, so I am focusing on finishing up my slides for the webinar, which starts on Friday. And I will, uh, knowing me, knowing how I work, I will probably finish today, maybe tomorrow morning. And then I will fiddle with the president presentation right up until the last minute uh, before I start presenting because that's just how I work. I keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking to try and make it as best as possible. Hello, competition, everybody drink. So uh, yeah, I, I'm almost done with it. I've done, I've broken the back of the presentation and uh or the webinar i should say so i'm i'm kind of really excited about that now and the more like nerdery that i put into the presentation the more like giggly and squealy i'm getting in terms of all the um other stuff it's yeah i mean it's a, a rolling moving feast i am yeah, looking, I don't even know. I'm just going to move on, I think. Okay, so my Kickstarter goes live today at 5 p.m. UK time. So by the time you listen to this episode, the Kickstarter will have been out for a week, actually. So I would love for you to go and check it out. This is a special edition of my brand new book, House of Crimson Hearts. It is a super spicy uh, fantasy romance. It is vampires set in a non-real uh, world location. So it is fantasy, uh, even though it's also vampires, which is typically paranormal. It's enemies to lovers with a little bit of second chance romance in there, dual timelines, sweeping romance. I've had quite a number of advanced readers sobbing at the end of it, if that's any indication. There is a beefy cliffhanger, I won't lie, but this is a trilogy and this is the first of the trilogy. And therefore, what do you expect from me? This is how it works. Uh, so what can you get in the Kickstarter? So many goodies. <laughs> so excited. So I've got lots of different tiers and my whole purpose with this kickstarter is to give people an experience whilst they're reading so i have got a rainbow holographic foiling they'll all be hand signed hand numbered there'll be character stickers in there there's color not safe for work art oh my oh my god so i saw <laughs> I literally cannot control myself. So I saw the first not safe for work art uh, that last week, was it this week? I don't know, times are like, oh, fuck me, it is so good. I am like even more pleased that I'm doing this not safe for work Kickstarter after having seen the art. Like I saw the sketch and I was like, mm, yeah. Then I saw it in color and I was literally like, fuck me sideways. This is fucking epic. And now I get why all of these readers go so fucking feral when they see character art. I'm like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> um, anyway, so in very typical fashion, I immediately commissioned another one because I was like, I need more. I need more dirty, filthy artwork. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I've commissioned another one. I don't even know if I'm going to hit the stretch goal for it, but I want it anyway. Uh, so there we go. And then there's also things like beautiful bookmarks, art prints, map prints. There's even a kinky list print based on the book, like for you and your partner, because there's a hers and hers tier box. Or like even if you're if even if you buddy read with a friend, you could still have the hers and hers tier. And there are mm, adult toys. <laughs> 
excited for the adult toys. And if this goes well, I'm going to go bigger and better and badder on the on the adult toys uh, for a Kickstarter later in the year. But no, I'm not committing to anything until I see how this one goes. And then, of course, you can now pre-order my uh, new book, House of Crimson Hearts, which is, I actually think this might be the best book I've ever written. Like, look, it is not a literary masterpiece because that's not what I write. I write your get down and fucking dirty Netflix and chill, pure lusty entertainment books. And I am so fucking proud of that. Like I I have now got down though that type of writing to a fucking T. And like, oh, oh, I'm so excited for this book. Anyway, I have like gone way through the doubt and fear which like plagues me at the end of a draft and through editing where obviously like you guys have heard me go on that journey and every motherfucking time I go into edits I just destroy myself and then I come out and I start getting feedback and I'm like I'm amazing look at me like (laughs) don't we all do this so literally all writers like you know yeah look 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 I don't need external validation, but I fucking like it, okay? (laughs) I have enough self-assurance not to need it, but I'm still a crack whore for it. So anyway, yes, I'm very excited now I'm starting to get feedback and I'm not gonna lie, lapping up reader tears is fucking delightful. (laughs) Oh dear, I should move on. I have not had as much coffee as you might think I have this morning. (laughs) Okay. I think that's all of the things that I can tell you. Yes, don't forget to sign up for the uh, Pre-Writing Aid Romance Writers Week uh, session with me. The Rebel of the Week this week is Eden. Eden says, when I was small, my family and I moved from the tiny cottage where I was born, unintendedly, I might add, to a large semi-detached house in the town. The new house was almost twice as big as the tiny cottage and had enough headroom for my dad, who's over six feet tall, and my brothers and I, who weren't yet but would in the future be over six feet tall, to stand up comfortably. It was also, it also has a beautiful sweeping staircase that goes from virtually the top of the house to the front door. Now, in the days before Netflix, the internet, and more than five channels on the TV, we were encouraged and told to make our own entertainment. I imagine most kids would either go outside and do sports, ew, or read a book. I did none of those things. I decided instead... (laughs) to throw myself down the stairs again and again. Now, before you call the police or child protection service, albeit 20 years too late, let me explain. My parents had a laundry basket made of wicker, much like the baskets used by snake charmers for their snakes. I'd tip out the dirty laundry, I have standards after all, and place the basket on the edge of the stairs, climb in and hold on tightly to the lid and launch myself down the stairs. If I was lucky, I'd tumble down the first flight of stairs, up the up the couple of steps into the bathroom, bounce off the bathroom wall, down another flight of stairs and onto the tiled floor of the hallway where I'd come skidding to a stop, hopefully the right way up. What on earth my parents or parents' friends that would come over from time to time thought, I don't know. One particularly memorable time in the summer, my dad was doing some gardening in the front garden, as you do, and he left the front door open to let some air into the house. A few moments later, I come barreling out of the house, literally, and almost out of the front gate. Oh my God, 
Fortunately, I grew too large to fit in the laundry basket anymore and my parents discreetly got rid of it before I did myself a mischief. I absolutely love it. And they have included a photo of them clambering into the homemade Zorb, uh, which hopefully I think we're, we're allowed to, to share. And it is very, very adorable. Um, okay, so thank you so much for that rebellion. That did make me smile. If you would like to be a rebel of the week and we are always in need of stories, so please don't sit on them or barrel in them. Uh, please do send in your stories. They can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. And remember, they don't have to be yours. They could be a grandma's, a great grandma's, a great auntie's, a sibling, a parent, even a pet. You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and thank you to Drew Constance and Sarah Louise. And of course, a huge thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, uh, such as the whopping Slack group that we have got where you there every day, people ask questions, help each other, support each other. We have the rebel challenges every quarter. Somebody hosts a different week to encourage and motivate and support you. There's the rebel critique group. There is the movie nights we share together, the Patreon poison and prose sessions every month where we write together and you guys can ask me questions. There is, uh, of course, the master classes as well. You can get access to all of that from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors and their team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help you reach new readers around the world. Right now, digital books are reaching more people than ever, and libraries are becoming an integral part of that. In 2021, top digital library systems powered by Overdrive loaned 500 million books, an increase of 16% on 2020. That's half a billion book loans, which means a lot of happy library readers. That's it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm rejoined by Joe Watson. Joe is a copywriter, trainer, and columnist. Column- I can't, apparently, I can't say that. Columnist um, hired by people who want personality in their project. Published author of Tot Analysis: Why Running Your Business Is Child's Play. Underachieving perfectionist, overbearing mother. Hello and welcome back. You know, in your husky tones, that intro is a perfection. If, really if I can talk. It's wonderful. <laughs> Even if you're struggling under a cold, it still sounds beautiful. Thank you so much for such a, a warm welcome and for having me back, Sasha. No, you're most welcome. I, I was actually quite shocked when I had a look when I was preparing the episode and realised that you were on in January 2021. So that must have been like at the height of of the plague that we had like we must have been sort of in and out of lockdown at that point yeah because the um bloody bojo had just cancelled christmas i think at that point hadn't he so yeah everybody was like furious about everything i mean that feels like about 75 years ago so what have you actually been up to since then <laughs> well, I mean, when we were, you know, planning for this for me to come back on and it, it said yeah joe was last with us in in 2021 
And I thought, Christ, it has taken me a lot longer to get this book out than I thought it would. Because <laughs> I'm sure when we chatted, yeah, Boris had just cancelled Christmas and all that. And um, as you say, and I, I just... I remember at the time going, yes, yeah, so my book will be out this year and I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing where it takes me. And, and then three years have gone by and I, I don't know where they've gone, Sasha, but but the book is now out at long last. You were like the first person I got the publisher to send the copy to. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's finally done and I am never writing another one. That's oh. <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to go into that. Um, so did it take three years because you found the writing process tricky? I found the editing process tricky. Um, talk when talk I, me through that. <laughs> I think as with everything I do, especially as a copywriter, whether it's for my own marketing or for a piece for a client, I can write something that I think is pretty damn good in about 10 minutes, whatever it is. That's my skill. However, I am a perfectionist and I am a you know chronic overthinker. And so I will take that 10 minutes of delight and I will turn it into, well, evidently three years of ripping it apart syllable by syllable finding fault with everything and thinking, no, I can be better. I can do better with this. And uh, I had a friend who was who was helping me with it. She runs her own business. She has a child. So very much my demographic of, of the people who would want to read my book. And, um, and she read it and she gave me so much constructive criticism that was excellent that we got it to a point where she was like, right, it's good to go. And then I really fucked her off by going away and essentially rewriting the whole damn thing again because... You know, a month had passed since I'd read a chapter and, and with fresh eyes, I thought, no, it's wrong. It's written poorly. It doesn't say what I want it to say. It lacks meaning. It's a pointless message. And I, just, I ripped the entire thing apart. And it's it's a sickness, Sasha. It's a sickness. So this is your first book. That's yes, right, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So what you're saying, <clears throat> sorry, and to listeners, I may have to mute a lot in this because my throat it's not great. Um, um, so what you're saying sounds like the experience of most writers that that of what they go through during that first book. Like, I don't think I know anybody who's managed to get to the end of their first book ever um, and then not, you know, rewritten huge trunks, chunks or taken a long time. If they haven't rewritten huge chunks, that might just be because their process was to, you know, um, slightly different or whatever maybe they they took a bit more time to actually get to the end of the draft um unlike me who vomits on the page and then has to go through sheer hell of a week of editing or whatever um so tell me how did you get to the end so you i've heard you say that it was a really tough process you you know you had to battle the perfectionist demons and things so what did help how did you actually get to the end what actually made you let go did you feel that sort of the craft had gotten to a plateau and then you were able to let go or like because that's what happened to me i felt so i did three i threw three uh, two versions of my first book away in total the whole book i just threw it away and started again oh. um so it was the third version that went to print or an iteration of the third version. But what happened was very much that I would go, I would got to the end, written the end. I'd go back to the beginning. I'd read it and I'd be like, this is total shit. I've improved so much that I can't possibly salvage this, whatever this was. This is not a book. So then that happened a second time. And I tell you, I don't know how I got to the end of that third version because I was like, this is never, I'm never, this is never going to end. Anyway, yeah. I got to the end of that third version. And when I went back to the beginning, I was like, mm, actually, it's not that bad. 
And I was like, okay, this I can improve, but I had to go through that learning. So yeah, anyway, sorry, this isn't about me. I'm just, I'm just sort of relaying my experience. Um, no, I love this. I'm glad you said all that because it's nice to know it's, it's not just me who did exactly that because it's, it's frightening. And you think, God, will, will this ever end? You know, you've got your three iterations. Will there be a fourth? Is this merely a drop in the ocean? And I'll rewrite the same book 20 times before I decide it's okay. But I think for me, it was a couple of things. It was people shouting at me, um, saying, for fuck's sake, where do you think this is going to go now? You know, what, how, <laughs> what are you doing, essentially? And me thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't answer that question. And the other reason, which I feel was quite key to the book itself, the whole thing with it being tot analysis, so the play on words around small children, tots, you know, that replacement for SWOT analysis. Um, <laughs> I was in danger of my child no longer being a tot and being like, you know, 40 years old, the longer this was all dragging on. So I started like throwing ideas around for this when when she was like two and she turned six in September. And I thought, yeah, she's still a little kid, but there's a lot of stuff in the book that is directly about a baby or a toddler and how they, you know, could run a business better than we ever could. Now that she's six, of course she could fucking run a business better than I could. When you're six, you know everything. That's a given. But I wanted it to be about, you know, children, babies, infants, those little, you know, preschoolers. And the fact that, that my own child, who was the muse for the book, was no longer in that stage meant the whole thing was going to look ridiculous. So it was like, right, off to school you go, child, and out goes the book. Let's just draw a line. Let's draw some comparisons between copywriting and the prose that you've written inside your book. How does it differ? How is it similar? How have you used your skills, your copywriting craft skills, in a nonfiction book? I feel like such a fraud, Sasha, because I don't think there's been any change whatsoever. I think the way the way I write for myself as a copywriter, obviously as a copywriter, you're going to do your own marketing and you should be bloody damn good at it. That was essentially how I wrote my book because my justification in my head was if this doesn't make it as a book, I'm going to break all the chapters down and just put them out as blogs because that's what they are essentially. Anyone who reads the book says, my God, the chapters are really small, which is what I wanted. I wanted people to just dip in and out, no necessary order, just get something from it, have a laugh, nod along in agreement, whatever, move on. And so I felt like it was exactly the same process I was going through. And because for my clients as a copywriter, I tend to attract people who go, that's our voice. We want to write in that voice. Just go off and, and do your own thing. I'm just constantly writing as me. I might be writing under the guise of a different brand, but I don't really have to change what I'm doing. So I'm a massive fraud in that sense. But it, it or, you're, for me. or you're super authentic. It's well, I hate the word authentic for the simple reason, Sasha. I find that people are constantly screaming on social media how authentic they are. And I'm like, if you're authentic, the last thing you have to tell people is that you're authentic. So I, I just hear that word now and I kind of like recoil a bit. I don't, I don't know. It is authentic. That is what it is. But it's just me doing what I do. I'm not trying to be a certain person and I'm not trying to be real. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just being me and seeing what sticks. 
So let, let's go into like maybe some, and I will actually ask you the questions that I've told you I'm going to ask you, but um, I, I'm really curious about this because, so for me, for example, copy writing has various meanings. The, the, the copy that I'm very interested in is like the hook and um, the the sort of, there are cert- certain authors. So in, in a, a presentation that I do on writing to market, I do this analysis where I look at the top 100 books and I pick a random selection of top 100. And then I go and look at like the first line in in the first chapter. And then I look at like the last line in the first chapter. And I look at the first line in the second chapter. And they are almost always copy written. And I say copy, copy written in air quotes. But what I mean by that is they are written in a way that is um, that uh, that drags the reader by the vagina through that chapter or or through, you know, that section. And I think there is a real art and skill. It's like science meets art in in Christ essentially um, with how they do that and I think copywriting is such an incredible skill so is yeah is there anything that maybe that you've done like with the core skills of like the the on the page words and the construction of those words that you've maybe taken from your copywriting day job into the book into the book no it's a great question and I think you're right it is it is about the hook with copywriting, but I also feel it's very much about the emotion and getting people to feel something. So yeah, you might get them in with a hook and that's great, but how are you going to keep them there? You know, are you going to make them laugh? Are you going to make them mad? Are you going to make them nod along thinking, yeah, God, that's me. I went through that or I know what she's on about. So it's that emotion. And I felt that even though this is a nonfiction book, it's, it's also not like a, a fact book, if that makes sense. It's still a story, really. It's it's my story, but it's not an autobiography. It's it not, is you know, creative nonfiction is what it, it is. is. Yeah, absolutely creative. I mean, there's there's so much truth in there, you know. But I've I've not said, oh, you know, when with my my Lily, when when I was doing this, I've talked very generally about when you've got a two year old and you are at the play group. So I'm constantly putting the reader in the position so that they can see themselves in that scenario. They can feel it. Hopefully, they'll remember it as well. And they'll think, yeah, that was me. I was in that scenario. So it's about that emotion and playing on that. But it was interesting with you saying about looking for a line that you know drags you by the vagina. I think on my first page, I think I do have a line very similar to those exact words. I think uh, I use the phrase beaver first. Um, yeah, when I, I say I was I was um, dragged beaver first into the birthing pool or something like that, and uh, which makes me sound a lot more middle class than I am. I, uh, I had no, uh, yeah, I just want to clarify that I didn't have any um desires to have a water birth or anything like that i just felt that having a lovely big bath prior to giving birth might might relax me in some way and i will tell you now it did not <laughs> yeah i i had one contraction in the water pool and was like get me the fuck out of this like yeah. I, and i i was middle class enough to go oh yeah like i really want um a water birth that was in my birthing plan darling um and then um mid labor where like your hair looks like like you've been electrified you've got sweat pissing down your face like if anybody changes the thermometer in the room by one degree they get shouted at hello my wife um and so I got I got into that birthing pool and the and the midwife was looked at my wife and was like don't let her get out until we come back and she was like "Mm, okay and then 
<laughs> yeah, and I had one contraction and I looked at her and I was like, get me the fuck out of here. Precisely. <laughs> yes, one of those things I couldn't get in it quick enough. And then when it all kicked off, I could not get out of there quick yeah. enough. I quite literally feel that pain, Sasha. It was, yeah. it's just hideous. Non- and that's, you know, I talk a lot. I think my first chapter is about, you know, the birthing plan and, you know, birth- business plans. And and really, they both go to shit at some point. So they're, they're, they're a nice to have, but I think they very rarely work out. I, I've got another question before we dive into the actual questions. I'm so sorry. I don't normally do this, but it's just so easy to ask things now that we're here. Um, how do you pick? How do you make? You, so let me start again. Everybody <laughs> giving birth has a different story. It's entirely unique to that person. I've never come across two people with the same birthing story. So how do you, as a copywriter, make something that is utterly unique, completely universal? Um, I think I I kind of address that uh, that elephant in the room, really, that at the minute, and this happens when when we're out and about, whenever we talk to primarily other mums, because it is about the birth and those who have been through birth, because of course not, not every mum, not every parent is going to experience birth. But those who have, everyone's got the story. Everyone's got one. And by God, theirs is more important than yours. <laughs> because I cannot wait to tell you. That's what that's what we all do. Just like as soon as someone tells me theirs. I'm there thinking, yeah, but mine's better because, you know, mine, mine was awash with more blood or mine had screaming contractions that went on much longer into the night than yours. Or or mine was an absolute dream where she just floated out of me with minimal fuss and therefore I'm the better mother. We're all like that. We all have a story and we all think ours is the best. And I think addressing that in the book was key for me to say, look, you know, we we've all got one. Uh, but you know what it's it's your experience and I think I've been careful in the book to make it there it's not about me and it's not detailing everything that I went through it's just focusing on the kinds of things that happened and the kinds of experiences we can share even though our realities may have looked a little different and it's just challenging the reader really to think about their own experience rather than to, to you know, fixate on on mine as one example. So hopefully everyone will read this book and think, yeah, because when this was me, that happened, but that couldn't have been more different. And 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 hopefully, yeah, it does it does keep that the reader involved so they can just put themselves right back into that glorious moment of giving birth. Okay. <laughs> so let's let's come to the book then. Why do you think running a business is like being a parent? What are like the broad brush strokes of comparison uh, because you've got fuck all control over either of them is is what the, the post-it note version of the book was going to be if you know my agents or publishers turned around and went no that's not a book I was going to go yeah you're absolutely right I'll just put it on a post-it on my fridge might write a post-it <laughs> on LinkedIn and that's as far as this thing goes but I mean, one of the things I hate on on social media is when people draw the most tenuous links to business from anything. It'll be like, oh, I was I was in the local supermarket the other day, and I was I was trying to decide whether I, do I get loose broccoli or do I get the broccoli that's already packaged up, but it is organic. And then I thought, running a business is very similar to <laughs> choosing the right kind of broccoli, and you're like, it's not. And I don't care how clever you are or how much of a wordsmith you think you might be. There is nothing you are going to do to convince me 
so much that the business is just like buying your broccoli. But yeah, that's what people are doing constantly. So I was very keen to spend a lot of time writing down everything where I thought there was a genuine parallel. And then I got rid of a lot of them because I thought they're too fucking tenuous. But even when I got rid of so many, because I thought there's nothing there I can write about. It's just, it's tenuous. It's it's clutching. Even when I got rid of those, I still ended up with 40 or 50 that was solid and I could actually go and, and draw parallels beyond. But I mean, ultimately, it's just all about clearing up shit, not having control over anything and usually being at the absolute, under the, the cosh of some bloody dictator, whether it's an employee. <laughs> A player, a client, or a screaming toddler. There's there's really little difference in it for me. Yeah, and then I think the other one, you know, when you start, you are, you know, locked in for probably a couple of decades, really. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. And, and then, you know, people will ask you, you know, with a baby, when are you having another one? And, <laughs> and if you go on, on LinkedIn in particular, people will be there going, well, how are you growing this business? How are you scaling it? How are you branching off? What's your next business going to be? And you're like, does it not look like I am? struggling enough as it is with one <laughs> thank you very much yeah, yeah. So there's always that there's always parallels there and I've got no doubt the stuff that I've missed I've got no doubt that people will be reading it and saying oh you know at least you know you didn't as if you didn't say it's like this because and I would love to know I would love to know from any of my readers you know, if I have missed a bit of a trick with something and, you know, because I mean, I'll kick myself, obviously, but I'd like to think that with, with 40 or 50 in there, I've, I've done a pretty good job of saying, look, they're the same thing. So if, if you can fail at one, you can fail at the other. <laughs> so okay. So like, given you now have been on this journey of, of mum to a top for, what was it, six years? Did you say she's six? Six now? years. Six, six years, years. Of, of mumming. I'm assuming this that's your first one. Um, yes. What lessons have you taken from parenting that have helped you in running your business? Or what have you learned that maybe listeners would find helpful in running their business? Um, Not to be a people pleaser is, is the massive one because... Christ, my child has not been put on this earth to uh, to people please or to conform or to give people what they want or expect. She is strong-willed, which of course is the the lovely way of saying she can be an arsehole. <laughs> it is she's feisty. Yeah, she's an arsehole. No, she's absolutely gorgeous. She is wonderful. I would not change her. Obviously, it's too late now anyway. <laughs> but I look at her and I think... Well, yeah, why shouldn't I be a bit like that? You know, like she, there's there's a whole chapter dedicated to the fact that no is a complete sentence, you know, and that the power of no, like she doesn't want to do something. So she just says no. She doesn't give me a reason. She doesn't feel like she has to elaborate. She doesn't feel that the conversation needs to go any further. She's been told or asked to do something. She doesn't want to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how much easier would my business have been if in the early years I'd have just done that? You know, people coming to me saying, oh, I can't pay you, but would you like to do this for free? And and I'd be there going, well, well, no, um, because really, you know, I've got bills to pay and I know it's awkward. And so I'm really sorry. I'm going to have to say no. But I mean, we could do it another way. And 
just trying to people please and justify and you think fuck that you know if my two-year-old won't do it and she's six and she still won't do it now why why should I do it you know what I think she's bang on the money (laughs) yeah I love that I I love that so much it's funny because I literally was having a conversation this morning about the fact that I'm now so so busy that I have no choice but to say no because I'm getting sick from like just only working like I I you know I get up and I mum the kid goes to school I'm working the kid comes back I mum the kid goes to bed I work until I go to sleep and I'm literally getting sick because I'm 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 completely and utterly exhausted and um and it's because I say yes to too many things and like I do think that there is benefit to saying yes at the beginning when you need certain amounts of exposure and you need to you know to grow and build and stuff but also that's not the only way to grow and build and you don't have to say yes to everything and it's really a horrible lesson when you have to realize that and also I love how fucking empowered like toddlers can be like just to say just to say no and and like that how is it that a two-year-old has those boundaries and I as a 36-year-old woman do not like what dreadful isn't it it's like how how have those boundaries been eroded away over time because we will have had them you know our, no doubt our parents our carers will will say to us yeah you were like that and I mean my mum and dad love doing that anytime I have a bitch about Lily my mum and dad are like yeah you yeah, know sympathy off us sunshine yeah yeah <laughs> so, so it's um yeah it, it is a, a good question you know where, where have those boundaries gone <laughs> and how do we get them back again what so as a copywriter i'm curious about your business model and how the book fits in like what made you do this like why like how does this fit into your business as a product or like yeah t- talk to me about the business end of writing a non-fiction book um i don't you know i get i get really kind of um not frightened that's the wrong word but I get a bit kind of jumpy whenever anyone says what's your business model like I'm like I don't think I have one you know I get I get up I do I do my work I get paid I uh I go to bed I yeah I'm mumming for the rest of it you know when I'm not doing those things and then it all starts again the next day and I I still don't believe I have a, a business model but um I think and you'll you'll obviously have seen this in doing what you do, Sasha. But there are so many great authors and so many great stories, fiction and nonfiction that you know are out in the world. But there's also just some dreadful stuff that is out there. And there are people who are not writers and are not skilled at it. That is not their thing. And they're thinking, I once had a a viral post on social media or someone down the pub told me I was quite funny. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to throw it on on Amazon and and away we go. There's no quality control at all. And it kind of annoyed me because I thought, look, I I know I don't have many skills in this life, parenting being one of them, <laughs> failing at that massively, but I know I can write. I know I am good at it. So I felt like I bloody should put a book out. I should show people on a, on a larger scale and on a more personal scale, the extent to which I can write and the impact I can have with it. So I felt like having a book was a good showcase piece to show people, look, I am a bloody good author. It's there. It's in the book. Read it for yourself. There's my proof that I can have an impact with my writing. Can I do the same for your business? Yes, I probably can. So 
It was that having that showcase there. But I think there is a, a great deal of authority that comes with it as well. If you can get a book out there and it's, you know, it's published and you get to go on wonderful podcasts like this, you get to go to events, you get to showcase your book in a public forum. It does build that credibility and that authority. And I think people then start taking you more seriously as a business owner. And therefore, it's not just that I, I want her words on my page. I want her eyes on my business. I want I want her guiding me forward with what I'm trying to do so I think it, it does fit nicely but then having said that if I thought I could make money just from writing books I'd do it all day every day but but that's not the case is it I'd give up copywriting and I'd just write books because it, it I is I mean that's that's what I do that's how I make my money it can definitely be done <laughs> But you're you're like this anomaly. It's not fair. It's not fair, Sasha. It's like, why can't we all do what you're doing? Because it does seem to be very, very tricky to do it. And I, I'm, I'm in awe. I really am. I'm in absolute awe. But it's it's just, I mean, it's proved with this book. You know, I, I, I was the, you know, practically picking out my mansion when the book went to print. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still here in my three-bed semi in Bolton and I'm probably going to be here for the rest of my life. The thing <laughs> is, that this, book, don't they, so. th this book business is not about having one, I'm afraid. And that's I why know. I laughed when you yeah. said you weren't going to do it again. And I was like, mm, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing. I think it's what makes you so despondent about it. And I say, I'm not going to write one again. If someone came to me and said, right, here's an advance, here's a load of money, go and write another five. I would love it. And I would do it because yeah, you'd see the money kind of coming in for it. But <laughs> At the point where I was writing my first one, it was like, no, I've got to get it all done. And then I'll see if it makes me any money. And it was a, a terribly soul-destroying place to be in, knowing that I was putting all that work in and it might not pay off. And admittedly, it's not just about, you know, money from book sales, because your publisher takes one mammoth of a cut. So it's not like you, you get like a, a quid on every copy or something like that. But it's about the stages it can put you on and and the that like I said, that credibility it gives you so that people go, right, I'll hire you to do my website or or to do do what else. But it's it it is fun. I do like it. It's the most stressful thing, but I, I'm so proud of what I've done, Sasha. And if I thought I could replicate it and someone would would pay me for it in some way, then then yeah, I'll go. You know for I it. don't have a publisher, don't you? I know this is the thing. I, I felt like I I felt I needed one. I felt I had to punish myself and put myself through the added stress of trying to find one. And it was really bloody hard work. Yeah. Really. Well, that's that's one of the ways to earn more money is to is to not yourself. have a publisher. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the massive cut that they take. But anyway, this is not about uh, business publishing models. Um <laughs> Let's talk about how you structured your nonfiction book. Um, and I think you've already kind of alluded a little bit to like that um, quick chapter type feel. But like what thoughts did you put into it? How like how uh, did you use any of your copywriting skills in like the story structure? Because so I've written nonfiction and fiction and the structuring of nonfiction is always the hardest bit for me. Now, granted, my nonfiction is not creative nonfiction in the way that yours is mine is like teaching people so you have to follow yes. a certain sort of you know teaching structure um but yeah talk to me about the structure I think if I'd have needed to do what you've done with that more formal traditional non-fiction structure I think I would have struggled because I would have 
overthought it even more than I did. I would have been there thinking, oh no, is, is should that go before that? And do they need to know more about this before I explain something else? And I think I would have overthought it, even though I was a teacher prior, prior to setting up my own business as a copywriter. So, you know, I have a, an idea of how things should work and how things should educate and be structured. But I do think I would have struggled. And in fact, when I started writing TOT analysis, I felt like it should follow a structure of, um, you know, well, this is, you know, from birth right the way through to like, you know, say three years old, four years old, and the lessons you learn as you go along. But I found that so many of the lessons, if that's what we're going to call them, or the parallels, they could impact people at any stage. It might happen when the child is a baby. It might happen when the I don't know, just start in school if we went up as far as that. So I felt like I couldn't really stick with a an order. So I just thought I am going to throw these in any order and take the pressure off myself, really. And I'm going to make it clear to people when I'm marketing it to say, dip in, dip in and out of it, however you want. Simply pick a, um, a title, a chapter title from the contents list. Think which one appeals to me at this moment in time. Go on, I'll give it a five minute read. And it really took the pressure off, Sasha. So I was a big fan of the no structure approach. One of the things that I love about you is that you take everything with a sprinkle of good humor. Um, like, or, you know, it, it, it makes, one, it's a coping mechanism, but also it brings a bit of positivity and joy into everything. Um, so, but also I think that taking things with a bit of, you know, on the chin with a bit of humor is also key to resilience. Um, so I just wondered, what advice do you have for those of us running businesses who are perhaps um, <clears throat> slightly more highly strung? Um, how can we, we, they, me, I, what? Sorry, no. How can they be more, um, you know, resilient? What What's parenting taught you about building that kind of resiliency and the ways that we can pick ourselves up again when we fall down? I, I think the most highly strung people, of which I definitely put myself in the category of, um, I think we're the best at, at dealing <laughs> I really do, because, well, I, you know, it's almost like, well, I, I, I'm, I'm too arrogant to think I couldn't cope with this. Of course I'll cope with it. And, and nobody else will help me because nobody else ever does. And we become very, you know, like, well, well, of course I'll deal with it because I have to. And this is just what life is now. And I'm waiting for the next curveball or I'm waiting for the next problem to come along. And that's why we're so highly strung, because we feel everything kind of is a, a battle and nobody's quite reaching our standards with things. So we take it all upon ourselves. And so I think we deal phenomenally well, whether it's business, um, writing in our case, or being a parent, because we just we just know we've bloody got to, because there's no one out there who's going to do it for us. So we've got to get back up. But with the, um, with the whole humour thing, um, I find it absolutely it's a coping mechanism you you see right through me Sasha you really do I think it's because I hate for other people to feel uncomfortable or any kind of negative emotion I hate it and so I will do whatever I can to get a joke in there and if it lands brilliant a lot of the time it doesn't but at least I can think well I, I tried it's like I can't I've I, I've done a few eulogies, you know, for people, you know, for family members, and I've always put jokes in and I've always made comments because I've thought everyone is already sad. Everyone is already in those rows in front of me, grieving, aching, and I'm up here doing the same 
and and I just think I need to try and make things better for people. And although nobody dies in the book, um, <laughs> as far as I'm aware, um, I, it's just about thinking, look, there are some bloody tough times. So if I can try and make jokes, I will. And I think it, it serves as well to, to try and see a lightness if we can and to try and see the, the funny side of things because life would be fucking miserable if we didn't. So it helps. Let's talk about humour and the craft of it, like the writing of writing humour. Like some of it is situational, but even how do you, and I think some of it is just when you naturally have a frame of mind to look for humour. But for those people who would like to do that, but don't necessarily, aren't necessarily sort of predispositioned to to look for humour, how can they do it? How can they write funnier in air quotes you know um how can you pour more humor into your sentences and your your kind of chapters i think um really with with humor being very subjective i think people might find that they're, they're funny without trying or they're funny without realizing and i don't mean you know they've got people rolling in the aisles but they've got you know people who'll read along or listen along to them and you know that they'll laugh at it and i mean I, i don't know if you've ever had it sasha where you're talking to someone who seems to be quite dry or serious but by god they've got a turn of phrase that really makes you giggle or it you know it just it cuts you up in that funny way and and I, I love that. And I think it's worth remembering that with humour being subjective, if you just write as you would talk, chances are that there's going to be people who pick up on it and go, oh, my God, that was funny. And other people may miss it. Other people might not get it. Other people may see that there was a joke there, but didn't find it funny. Maybe because they just it wasn't humorous enough or because they thought it was in bad taste, whatever. It's subjective. And I think if you just have that confidence to write as you would talk, especially in a, in a conversational way, then you might find that you're actually funnier than you, you give yourself credit for and that there's there's stuff there where people, where people will go, my God, that, that actually killed me. I thought that was great. It was so sharp. It was so dry. It was so quick because it doesn't have to be about the, oh, you know, I walked into to Sainsbury's and then this happened and I fell on my ass and my knickers fell off and whatever. It doesn't have to be that, you know, kind of, outlandish outward comedy it could just be the slightest turn of phrase and i do believe we're all capable of of sharing them i do so when you say now i do this i write in my non-fiction particularly i write the way that i speak and lots of people said to me oh you know i feel like i'm listening to your voice on the podcast read the book which is why i started narrate i've narrated two of mine as well but yeah. not everybody can do that did you dictate in order, like, did in order to write in your voice, did you dictate the book, or did you write in your vo- your speaking voice using your fingers? And if so, any advice to connect brain to fingers? I suppose connect brain to fingers. Oh, what a great question! <laughs> uh, great, great uh, situation to ponder with that, Sasha. Um, no, I didn't dictate anything. I just. I just wrote as I went and I, I'm a big believer in getting all of your thoughts down and not editing as you go. So I try to get everything out on paper and then I will go back and edit. And one of the ways in which I'll edit is to read it aloud. And I don't mean, you, you know, where you just scan over it and you, you you might just talk under your breath to what have I written here? No, I literally I get it up on my screen. I stand up 
as well and I hold my laptop up or if it's only a short piece I know it's not environmentally sound but I might print it out and I'll I'll read it aloud and I'll think does this sound like me am I taking a break where I would take a break for effect um have I put the emphasis where I feel the emphasis should be have I showcased this and I think you know when people have told me in the past oh I read that in your voice I think am I doing am I doing myself you know, uh, a solid ear by by actually writing it in a way that people who know me have come to expect. But I think it is all about reading it aloud and, okay. uh, and, and doing it that way. So I know that you don't like the word authentic, but it has a, an important meaning. So we're going to talk a little bit about authenticity. Um, but in the age of AI, so in the yeah. publishing industry at the moment, AI is very... Um, uh, what's the word? My brain's not working today. It causes like um, sort of extreme ends of opinions. Um, but one thing that is sort of going around the industry is this need to be more human in the age of AI. Um, and I think that's one thing that you do extremely well is that you, you, you know, some people, I always remember, <laughs> I always remember in my corporate days, had this director and I do this as well, which is why I know that you do it. Um, and he was like, Oh, um, you talk to me exactly the same way in the pub on a Friday evening after work as you do in our board meetings. And I was like, well, yes, obviously. And he was like, other people don't do that. And I was like, what do you mean? They don't do that. How do they talk to you? And he was like, Oh, well, you know, they, they play the game in air quotes and they, it, they change their tone mannerisms, whatever, to be more corporately appropriate. And I was like, yeah, no. Um, but, but, and here's the thing, it's very hard to do that in a society that is rife with judgment. And, and to do that, I mean, to be oneself at all times and not change. We are yeah. so, so taught to socially adjust to different situations and to be that chameleon and meet like the, the social expectations. So what advice do you have um, to listeners to do the thing that comes naturally to you, which is to be brave and to be yourself. Like how, what, what would you tell listeners who would like to be more themselves at the moment, you know, in, in this age of AI? Um, My advice, and you, you won't like it, and I'd certainly hate to take it from myself, would be to go and have a baby. Because honestly, <laughs> when you say like what comes naturally to me and being brave, Prior to having Lily, no, I'm, I'm not going to say I was an entirely different person, but I am not who I am now. Um, I was many different versions and socially adapting and, you know, going with those social constraints and, and the models that are put out there because of this is how you should act. This is how you should talk to people. This is what you definitely shouldn't say, that kind of thing. And then I had Lily. And I was, uh, well, apparently at the age of 35, 36, I was classed as a geriatric mother. That's lovely to hear. So, yeah, an, an old mum. And I, I I struggled with Lily in, in the first year. Um, I didn't have postnatal depression, but I did develop this anxiety that I'd never had in my life. Um, and it was, and it stayed with me. And I know it's going to be with me forever now. But... What came with that over time was just this realization that, you know, I, fuck it. You know, I, I, this is my time now. I'm giving everything to raising this child. 
And in doing a good job, I need to show her, especially because she's a, a, a girl, I need to show her what, what she needs to be in this world. And that is to be herself. And that is to be strong, but do so in a way where she is respected rather than feared and where people use, you know, the positive associations rather than that, oh, she's a bitch or she's, you know, I know I called my own child an arsehole before, but you, you know what I mean? Where people go, no, I respect her. It's not that I think she's being a cow or anything like that. And I thought in order to do that, in a world that is increasingly tough for women in particular, I need it to be a good role model and I need it to just think, right, well, what, what am I going to do? Because she is watching this, everything that I do. So so I don't change, you know, whether I'm in a, I mean, it's very unlikely I'll be in a boardroom these days, or that, though I have been on the boards of, of certain charities. And I, I just think, no, I think, I think I'm doing myself a favour by not having to change and to just be who I am. But I think I'm doing them a favour as well. And I, I I remind myself of that. I think I'm not doing this because I'm being, you know, bolshy or brave. I'm doing this to help you because you need to see who I am and you know exactly where you stand with me and you know exactly what I expect or what I can do for you. And I think that's so important that way nobody's caught out by anything or is, is hoodwinked into thinking you're someone you're not. So for me, it's just easier now. And it is the the stronger choice to just think, fuck it, I am going to say what I, I feel within reason <laughs> and just just be me. OK, so having gotten to the end of your first book, what did you learn about writing a book? Like, what do you wish you'd known before you started? Or if you could go back and tell three years ago, Joe, what would you say to her? Like, if you're <laughs> if you're going to do this again, and I'm not saying that you will, but if you were <laughs> to do it again, um, what would you say to yourself before you started? I think if I could go back to the three years ago, Joe, that you were interviewing on your wonderfully successful show, I would say, bloody hell, Joe, the next three years are going to go quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you spend them wisely. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do differently. I don't I don't know what I'd, I'd say to me because I, I know what I'm like and I'm incredibly stuck in my ways. And if I had the chance to do it over again, I'd probably do the same fucking thing <laughs> I did and make all the same mistakes, including the, you know, ripping up of my chapters and starting them again, despite the fact that my focus group had said, yeah, you've nailed it, you've done it, we're on. Um, I, I don't know, maybe I think I would take advice a bit more seriously. Um, I think I would impose deadlines for myself rather than waiting for my child to draw her pension uh, and realising that a ship has sailed. So, yeah, I think I think I'd impose deadlines and I think I'd do what they do in films and go and bloody lock myself away in a country retreat household for, for you know, a, a matter of months or whatever. Because I kept saying to myself, you know what, if I just go away, let's book, book three nights in an Airbnb, let my other half take care of Lily, um, take myself off radar, cancel myself to clients and I'll just go and write it. I'll just go and do or at least, you know, crack through as much as I can but I never did that and I, I honestly think there's got to be something to it if they're doing it in Hollywood films and they just they go on a writer's retreat and they stay there I mean you're shaking your head I think it's gonna work I'm gonna do it right if I write my next one Sasha I'm gonna send you a message from my little country bolt hole and that I'm, I found. I'm like, gonna I horrify am. you I'm gonna horrify you 
I write books very quickly. Okay. Okay. It takes me three weeks to write a book. Okay. Now, here's the thing. I have, I think I've written well over 20 books now and I have a lot of data, a lot of data. Now, when you condense it into a really short period, um, you... It, right. Number one, you can end up procrastinating more when you have more time. Okay. That this is, this is the number one thing. So when one thing that I find when people quit their day jobs to write full time, they don't necessarily write more books than they were writing when they had a day job because there are only so many creative pennies. And if we, if, if you suddenly have all day to expend those creative pennies. You don't necessarily, you don't, if you had 10, you still have 10, whether you've got all day to use those pennies or you've only got two hours to use those pennies. So, so that's the first one. And the other thing is I can write 10,000 words in a day, but if I write 10,000 words in a day, you can be assured that I'm pretty fucking tired the next day. So <laughs> like th- there's this thing of like, yes, could I write 30,000 words in three days? Yeah, I could, but I then wouldn't be writing for two weeks, you know? So it's like, yeah, I mean, I've done the writing retreat thing, but actually what I find is that if I just average five or 6,000 words a day, I can continue to do that for much longer than I can if I try and, you know, condense everything into a really short period of time. That said... That is very personal to me. And I do know people that do like really, really thrive off of the deadline pressure and just vomit out like 20,000 words in a day because, you know, that they're on deadline or whatever. And they need that. Like they need that deadline. So, yeah, maybe it would work for you. But also... I'm not having you killing the romance of my yes. my country estate here, where I'm huddled up in you know against the winter elements outside, just gazing longingly at a typewriter. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'll I'll stop being a buzzkill. All right. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Well, you know, I'd said to you, like I had Lily and then it was like the the real me that had been waiting for so long just came out. Um, and I just thought I'm not hiding her anymore. I'm not going to people please. I, I, I kind of looked at events happening in my life where I'd massively had the piss taken out of me, you know, whether it was with work, relationships, uh, social interactions, you know, even things like customer service where you just think I've had the piss ripped out of me. I've been bullied down with something here or, or I've not got what I should have got. And I think I had Lily became this strong person, just thought, fuck this. I'm, I'm out to not out at all costs to do what I want and to, you know, get where I can, but to get what I feel is rightfully mine. And I think one of the the biggest examples of it, and people probably thought it was a tad rebellious, it was in, um, am I allowed to mention a, a, a high street shop? Yeah, I'm oh, sure. okay? I'm I mean, sure. they're, they're, they're fucking arseholes, so they, they deserve what's coming. <laughs> and I can do far worse than than name shame them on a podcast, definitely. Um, but there's uh, there's a, a, an electronics store, well-known, called Curry's, and um, <laughs> and they, they are hideous. And I know everyone complains about them and says that the customer service is dreadful and, uh, and if anything goes wrong, you, you, you're stuffed, basically. And I had a laptop that I bought from them because, of course, as a writer, a laptop is not only the, the key thing that you need, in your life it's pretty much the only thing you need really and so this laptop was pivotal to my professional and personal life and it went wrong 
So I took it back after three weeks and they said, um, no, there's nothing wrong with it. And I was like, no, th there is. And they were like, no, there's nothing wrong with it. They pretended to do some scan on it and went, no, there's nothing wrong. Sent me back. And uh, and this happened a couple of times. And it was this laptop was fucked, right? I mean, that's not a technical term. I'm not professing to be a, a computer engineer with my, my level of language and information there. But it was absolutely fucked. And it was like two months old. And I took it back and I said, I just, I just want, you know, forget, I don't want you running tests. I don't want you to tell me anything. I just want my money back now. Here's my receipt. And in no uncertain terms, they said no. And they they said to me, you've got to, um, if if you've got a problem with it, you'll have to send it to HP, Hewlett Packard, who, who made the computer. I was like, no, because I bought it from you. And they were like, no, because your problem is with the computer, not with us. This went on and on. And, um, and I just went, right, okay, I'll just wait here then at the front of the queue. I just waited there. And they were like, right, well, can you move because we need to see other people? And I said, no, you've not, you've not finished seeing me yet because you've not <laughs> given me a resolution to my problem and you've not backed me in my con consumer rights, so I'm not going. And they were getting other members of staff out the back and off the shop floor so that they were at the opposite side of the counter so that they could overpower me. So not physically, but, you know, so there's like five of them looking at me. And I was like, I'm not moving. I can't do anything anywhere. I can't go anywhere. I can't go and work because I've got no laptop. When I'm not going anywhere. And for the longer I'm here, the louder I'll talk. <laughs> and it just, and it was terrifying. And I could hear, I could hear the shaking in my voice a bit, but I could also hear that I was loud and I could hear that it was working and it was riling them. And I loved that the people behind me got sick of things and decided not to make purchases. I loved the fact that I kept turning around and saying, if you do buy that and it goes wrong, they're not going to help you because mine doesn't work and people will go in and putting things back. People were just going out. I love the fact that people will have gone home and said, God, there was this mad bitch in curry. She did this. But I like to think I was some kind of consumer champion that day, really. And I, it just felt so fucking damn good. And they were like, no, no, you're not getting anything. I don't know what you think your rights are. And I just kept saying, I know what they are. I absolutely know what they are. And I'm not leaving. I am not leaving. I've got nowhere to go. I was there thinking, if this goes on much longer, my child is going to be in tears at nursery with no one to pick <laughs> but it was, um, But I'd clocked it. I had to stay there 56 minutes. And then they gave me all my money back. Yes! <laughs> that is a proper win. That is a proper win. I love stuff like that. I think I've told the story before on the podcast, but we moved into this university house and um, it was riddled with bed bugs. And mm. um, I didn't know because oh. I'd never experienced them before, but I am, uh, they create a bit of a, a, like a mini allergic reaction to me. And um, I got bitten and I basically came up in these like fucking fist sized, well, well, not quite fist sized, but each one was like, a pretty large coin like a two pound coin size welt and um they they go in a straight line so they were like all across my back and all across my chest um and uh anyway so i 
they I went to the estate agent and they were like, um, no, you have to live in that house. We'll call the, the the pest people out. And I was like, no, 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 I don't think you understand. I was like, I can't go back into that property. And they were and so I did a you basically. Anyway, went went back to the house and picked up my mug of water, which was by the bed, which had bed bugs in it that had drowned overnight. This was how bad the infestation was. Oh, Took it back and slapped slopped it onto the desk in there and was like, I think you need to move us. So he was like, no, no, no. And I was like, right. So I took my clothes off and I showed him, stood there in my bra <laughs> in the middle of the estate agents <laughs> with loads of people around. <laughs> with these lines oh, of bed bugs. You are my idol. I just... I feel I feel like I undersold myself in curries now. I feel like if I switch my top off, this no, no. Be wrapped up in under half an hour. But <laughs> no, no, I know what I'm saying is that like I feel like you're my soul sister because that is exactly the kind of shit that I pull. Um, they did move us. I have to say, like he he was like, if you put your clothes back on, we will move you. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think there's anything wrong with me with my clothes off, but fine, I will put them back on. I'm gutted now, Sasha, because up until just now, my favourite story to tell was the curry story. Now my favourite story to tell is my Sasha. No, I fucking love that curry story. Also, I love that you clocked the time and you know exactly how many minutes it took. Like, I feel like what yeah. is perfection about that story is it was just under an hour. Like if it had gone just over an hour, hour, it wouldn't quite be the same, but you did it for 56 <laughs> minutes, you know? I love it, it so much. Exactly. And it's like, I, I know it as well because it opened at 10 and I was like at the door waiting to go in. And I was- Waiting I kept to cause chaos. Waiting to cause chaos. I wanted to be the first person. Well, that's the thing. No, I wanted to be the first person at that desk to go in and two minutes later come out with a full refund because I was entitled to it. I am I always give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm very polite. You know, I didn't waltz in there and start swearing or anything like that. I was like, right, I need to see someone because I, I need to get my money back. This doesn't work. And obviously they did not feel that was the, the path to take. Um, but I know it was, I just remember when I got out, like I got my my phone and I rang my other half and it was like, yeah, four minutes to 11. <laughs> and uh, like, so you've just spent 56 minutes. I was like, yeah, I was shaking, but I was fully clothed. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> next time, darling, next time. <laughs> next time. I love that story, Sasha. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like a woman scorned and all that, like, don't piss me off. Because exactly. I'll win. I will do anything to win. And I exactly. would do anything to win. <laughs> I love that. You are my idol. I love that story. That is tremendous. But even, even though I have no physical scars to show as you do, I'm still going to try it next time someone yeah. pisses off in a customer service. Set. Whip your top <laughs> off, get your tattles out. <laughs> Okay, would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your book, your services, anything else you'd like to add? Oh, thank you, Sasha. Okay, so uh, the main place to find me is at my website, which is agordrytop.com. Um, you can find out a little bit more about me on there and the services I provide, not only as a copywriter, but as a trainer, as a columnist, uh, whatever you might need my wordy goodness or support with. 
Um, I am quite active on LinkedIn. I do okay on there. So if anyone wants to come and connect rather than follow, please make sure you do kick, uh, click the connect. I don't, I don't want to be followed. I want to have a connection with people. Uh, but it's Joe Watson, and then it's got the pretentious letters after my name. So just look out for that one. Because uh, there is another Joe Watson. Oh, God, the funny story. Not only is there another Joe Watson who's a really good copywriter, there's also another Joe Watson who's a wildly successful author. Oh, no. <laughs> That's been horrendous. That has been horrendous. I've had people contacting me saying, you know, oh, I've just bought your latest novel. And I'm like, I, I haven't got a novel. And uh, yes, because they mean the, the the South African romance novelist who's written like 20 best-selling books. And so it's quite awkward, but uh, it is what it is. But yeah, follow me. Uh, no, sorry, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, the book is available in all good bookstores. You can go to your local and independent shop and ask them to get it in for you. Or you can go to Amazon because let's face it, it's quicker. So it's on the tot analysis, why running your business is child's play. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of, course, and of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get <clears throat> early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Joe Watson. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Dana Hawkins, and we're talking all about queer joy and writing queer romance. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. 